0: Caden Co PR would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land that this podcast was recorded and produced on the Wurundjeri and Bunurong peoples of the East Kulin Nations. We pay our respect to their elders, past, present, and emerging, and we extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. <laughs> Welcome to the Press Office with Kate and Co PR, the podcast that gives you an exclusive and unfiltered look behind the scenes of the Australian media landscape and public relations industry. I'm your host, Marissa Jane, and if you are dreaming of a career in public relations, are an aspiring journalist, or simply just obsessed with all things digital and traditional media, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome back to another episode of The Press Office with Caden Co. PR. Now, I found this interview one of the most interesting that I've had on this season. And if you are within the communications or marketing industry, I think you will also get a lot out of this chat. As today, I am joined by Astrid Kelleher. So she is a true industry trailblazer in the world of publicity and marketing. And Astrid shares some incredible insights from her career, which has included stints at the likes of Yellow Glen, Lavazza, Crown, and now her role as Group General Manager at Public Hospitality Group, which has some epic projects under their belt. Astrid breaks down her experience across a number of key marketing strategies from brand sponsorships and events, gives advice for anyone wanting to join the marketing communications space and also shares how she keeps on top of all of the trends and what she sees coming up next in the world of marketing. Now let's get on to the interview. Hello Astrid and firstly welcome to the press office with Kate and Co PR. Thank you, thank you for having me. I'm a little bit excited and as we
1: were just talking about it's my first podcast so I'm, I'm excited but I'm uh, yeah we'll see how this goes.
0: <laughs> I'm sure you'll be wonderful as I said it's so weird being on like the other end of like the firing of questions but you'll be fine you've got this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> thank you.
0: Okay, let's just dive straight on into it. And I was hoping that you could tell me all about your journey into the world of communications and how you first got started in the industry.
1: Definitely. So I did a Bachelor of Business majoring in marketing in South Australia. I went straight from that into the wine industry and worked in the wine industry at Hardy Wine Company for a couple of years in in more of a trade marketing type role. Which I think was was probably the best way to start in marketing. Really understood what was what was happening at I guess the the business and the consumer level. Traveled around Australia. Really, really had a, a, I guess a really good couple of years there. And then went from there to Foster's Group, which at the time was Foster's and Treasury, so the wine business and the beer business. Um, and so worked with them um, again on the wine side of the business. And then within twelve months, they'd promoted and moved me off, off to Melbourne. So was in the head office for Treasury Wine Estates and worked again um, across some of the sort of really cool, interesting brands that I had. So Rosemount I worked on, Lindemans I worked on back at the time um, and, again, worked in the sort of full gamut of, of experiential brand marketing, trade marketing, etc. That was probably the really strong chunk of my career. I had a great time at Treasury Wine Estates. I was there for, for eight years and I think I really enjoyed Any opportunity that was put in front of me, I was very, very lucky. Probably every 12 or 18 months, I was promoted and put into the next role. So I got to know all types of the business. I worked on regional roles. I worked on domestic roles. So I had a bit of exposure to most of the different wine portfolios. And then from there, obviously, that's sort of, I guess, probably the latter part of my career bounce. But I think getting into the industry, I'd always really felt the marketing comms was something that I was super interested in so that was sort of my natural progression I think being a South Australian where the wine industry is so prevalent it's probably natural that I ended up in alcohol but yeah that's that's how I kicked off.
0: That is such a cool career journey and you are now Group General Manager of Marketing and Communications at Public Hospitality Group and we certainly will be touching on your current role shortly but First, as you have mentioned, you have had some coveted roles and, you know, the likes of Yellow Glen, Treasury Wine Estate, Crown and Lavazza. What has been some career highlights for you? Good question.
1: Good question. I think Treasury, for me, the last role that I had, I was head of brand for sparkling and champagne category. So Yellow Glen, as you noticed, as you noted, was uh, the key brand that I looked after. Angus McPherson at the time, who was the managing director for Australia, came to me and, and said, I really need you to help to help revive this brand um, and really bring it back to its former glory. So, you you know, those of you who aren't too old will probably remember the, the time of the bubbly girl. And Yellow Glen, when I guess I was given it, was very much in decline and was really affecting the performance across the whole business. So that for me, I guess, was probably a really good fit for me. I, I love I love being given a problem and something to fix. And I think Yellow Glen was a real career highlight for me because, A, there was really nothing that I could do that was going to make the decline worse than what it was currently doing. So, to be able to get in there with really fresh eyes and look and look at every sort of touch point of the brand um, and understand how consumers were engaging with it, we had a lot of consumers at the time that were aging with the brand and were probably moving on to different different brands. So the time I guess was there for us to be able to recruit new and younger consumers into the brand. So Samantha Wills was signed as the brand ambassador. I can't take complete credit for Samantha Wills. That 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 was in motion as I came in. But um yeah, being able to take the partnership with Samantha and and bring it into something that it ended up being, which was she was the ambassador of the brand, she was the face of the brand, and she also worked really closely with myself and the broader team around a lot of limited edition bottles, which, as you can imagine, had all of the PR legs and and social legs that we could take it to market, which was really, really exciting. So, And Samantha, still to this day, I call her a friend. She's a terrific um, ambassador for women, but she's also a terrific brand creative, and I think being able to work with a, a true creative like like Samantha was was probably a career highlight for me, um, and what you can take away from a brain like Samantha um, is pretty key. So I think that was definitely a career highlight, and and I I do walk away from Yellow Glen and, and was really proud of the couple of years that I looked after Yellow Glen and obviously handed it on to the next custodian. But yeah, definitely Yellow Glen at Treasury was a big highlight. I think probably more more recently with Lavazza was probably the next role. And there was a lot of great highlights with Lavazza. So the context of Lavazza was the Lavazza family initially wanted to launch their own Australian head office. They'd always sold through a distributor. And so they went they went across through Michael Page and selected a number of people to come and be, I guess, part of the primary head office for Australia. And I was luckily one of those people that, that was contacted and, and took that role on. And I think the launch of Lavarza into Australia in its full glory with the support of the Lovarza family was pretty incredible. It was a crazy time. I was flying back and forth to, to Italy all the time, spending a lot of time in Torino and working a lot of the sort of the key and major sponsorships. Sponsorships was a major platform for Lavarza at the time. So the Australian Open was a, a really key highlight of the career and everything that came with that. So a major activation on course we did social activations we did paid media we did a huge amount of pr around and, and a selection of really great ambassadors and you know and i guess the the coverage and the amplification of that is again something that i'm really really proud of so i think that was probably another career highlight and then uh, i guess most recently would be the launch of crown sydney so crown sydney was was a, a really big baby for so many of us that worked at Crown over that period. And particularly during COVID, it gave all of us something in lockdown to be working on that was really strategic and really interesting and really, really exciting. Um, and be able to see something not only being built um, in terms of it physically being built, obviously down in Barangaroo, but also in the behind the scenes building the staff, the brand, the Every single um, F&B concept that went in there, from you know Amare to through the Woodcut to the extension of Nobu into there, so I think that was that was another really really amazing career highlight. And I think from a to be a commercial marketer that can work with the caliber of people that were working on that project, and that's everyone from the project's team to the CEO and Peter Krenas to our Chief Marketing Officer. Yeah, it's it's definitely something as a collective that I think everyone looks back on and thinks it was a really great success. So, yeah, so that would probably be my three three main career highlights, but I'm, I'm sure there's probably others, I guess, over the, over the many, many years.
0: It's funny, every single one of those, like, campaigns that you've mentioned, I know so much about because they're held up to such high standard in, like, the marketing and comms world. I think Yellow Glen is a campaign that I remember really vividly. I remember, like, I must have been... I was of the drinking age, but I was quite young. I must have been like 20. And I remember collecting the Samantha Wills bottles because I loved her too. And I would like always get her jewelry for my birthday. So that is such a cool alignment as well. And especially to the social media events that you did with Yellow Glen, I remember them being all over my Instagram and at the time... Which now sounds like a no-brainer, including social media in your marketing campaign. But at the time, that was pretty groundbreaking. Do you have any kind of insights into your process of working with influencers so early in the game?
1: Yeah, I think it's. I think it's probably a good point. And I look back, and and it was really when Instagram was taking off. Uh, and I, and I think Samantha, as a talent, and you know her values very much aligned with Yellow Glen. And so I think one of the reasons that that campaign was so successful was the authenticity behind what Yellow Glen was all about, which was that uplift moment, that moment of girls coming together and sharing that really sort of special moment. And Samantha at the time and still to this day really speaks to the empowerment of women and the celebration of women. And, and you know, Samantha obviously is, is so talented from a creative perspective and obviously so astute from a business perspective, but she's also gorgeous inside and out. And like, I'll, I'll never forget we were, on the, we were on the photo shoot and it was Scott Eller's campaign. He was, he was the photographer on it. We had hair and makeup, obviously, and it was a really, really tight crew actually given the size of the campaign. And Samantha and myself and Scott were just sort of laughing and joking through and then they started kicking off the campaign Our um, in the, the photo shoot and I got onto my laptop and started doing my emails and, and I even I remember Samantha having this conversation with me saying, I can't believe you just didn't stand over and direct it. And I was like, well, you've got really amazing specialists in the team in terms of... You know, we've got we had Samantha, we had Scott, and it's not going to be authentic if if I, I'm over directing. So I think off the back of that, we we created a lot of really great content that was genuinely authentic, and we seeded that through what was relatively in its infant stages Instagram. We also seeded that through all of our PR stories, providing consumers access to Samantha. She was quite topical at the time, and obviously had a very very cult following. So doing all of those social media events was a was something that felt really right about her launching those bottles and and spending time with her consumers and then at the same time, we launched a platform around racing so racing for that younger consumer and the occasion of drinking Australian sparkling wine was really relevant and so we made the decision that we we're going to get into to racing in a bigger way and so. The activations that we did again led to a lot of those big social amplifications. So we created um, a concept that was essentially the the people's birdcage. Um, that was the proposition that we came up with was that it was the people's birdcage, um, and we created that. It went on the front lawn at VRC, and every consumer that had a general admission ticket could go in and experience what was this beautiful. You know, social experience. There was amplification opportunities built in throughout throughout the building, but they could also just have a drink and and socialise with with their friends on that activation. And I think the accessibility of Yellow Glen and what we created there was really magical because there's so many consumers back then that were really enjoyed going to the races. They loved going to the races and they'd look at the birdcage and, and be you know, aspiring to get in there, but obviously the, that wasn't as accessible to everybody. So I think Yellow Glen really brought brought that moment to the broader population of, of the racing community. So, yeah, there was a, there was lots of different touch points to it, but I think, yeah, Yellow Glen's definitely a campaign and a, and a brand that I still look back on and, and um, have really fond memories of working on it. But I think those, those types of campaigns and that type of brand revival that, did go on after a really long, sustained period of time. Doesn't happen with just one person. I had an incredible boss in Tasha Harp. She literally, every time I would go to her with, with an idea, she'd say she loves it, she'd stretch me on it, and then she would leave me to run with it. I had Mang- Angus McPherson, who's who's now with Diageo. Um, he, again, was a really incredible support and leader of the as the Managing Director of Australia at the time. But then, most importantly, the agencies that I worked with, I always and I still do to this day, I see agencies as an extension of the team. They're not suppliers; they're partners, and, and involving them and bringing them in as part of the part of the extended team and allowing them to communicate amongst each other. You know, I'm sure it's probably more part and parcel in this day and age, but I guess back then it wasn't you know it wasn't as common that you would have multiple agencies all working together. And collaborating in the way that I I guess I really encouraged and loved everybody to be able to do so yeah I think whether it was the experiential agency whether it was the social media agency whether it was the media agency whether it was the PR agency I think you know they all had such a significant role in the the revival I guess and the return of Yellow Glen to its former glory.
0: And I I did want to ask you about all about the events, because obviously, you know, you had Yellow Glen and the Melbourne Cup Carnival, and then you also touched on Lavazza with the Australian Open, another iconic partnership. Why do you think that these like experiential marketing and events are so important for brands? And when is it appropriate for a brand to be looking at such a big, not necessarily sports, but a big sponsorship such as those?
1: I think it's a really good question. I think sponsorships and experiential can be a really easy marketing lever I think what I've always tried to do with whatever brand I've I've had entrusted in me is that you choose one that feels really authentic and if it doesn't have the same values and it doesn't have the same consumer set then you know, it's never going to work. And I think Yellow Glen was a really good example where racing at the time was the platform in Australia that had that right demographic that we were looking for that younger female consumer, you know, that was really buying into the occasion that went with the races. And it wasn't necessarily just centred around the actual event of the races. It was every part of the run-up in terms of getting dressed and what was the outfit and what was the hair and makeup and what were the shoe selection, where would we go and have breakfast beforehand or brunch beforehand. So I think that was a really obvious fit. I think Lovatsa, we had a range of different sponsorships in Australia and that was really, again, linked to where the brand was at at the time in terms of really wanting to amplify and make a statement in market. So choosing sponsorships that had the same brand values was really critical so in terms of the sponsorships that I had at Lavazza at the time we had the Melbourne Fashion Festival we had the Australian Open we had um International Film Festival there was a couple of others and I can't even think off the top of my head but we but all of them had exactly the same brand values they had the right demographic and Most importantly, I felt with the team that I had in terms of the experiential team and the sponsorship team and the marketing team that we could go in and create something that was really magical and that consumers would remember the product and experience the product in the right way. Melbourne Fashion Festival, for example, one of the big things that we did there was we brought in a bar um, and it was a coffee-led bar but we did espresso martinis and we had gorgeous authentic Italian staff that you know bantered and flirted and did all of the things that people love about Italy and really made consumers really enjoy the brand as part of the fashion festival rather than just being I guess a transaction or a you know a sale moment which was not what we wanted to create we wanted to really feel like we were part of the festival I also brought in a illustrator who was really topical at the time and she created illustrations based on the fashion show and the fashion designer of the time and latsa so again just trying to integrate us into the experience in a really authentic way so i think yeah i think experiential has a really great role to play but authenticity has to be the sort of key pillar otherwise it, it it doesn't come together
0: I love that you keep touching on authenticity because that's something that I always come back to as well as a publicist and looking at like talent and ambassadors and influencers to work with. It's always like who actually authentically wants to use the brand or has like touch points with the brand that I'm representing. It's so important.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I I think we're all I'm sure I could speak for for all of us. You know, we all love Instagram, and we all spend a lot of time if we use Instagram as sort of a primary platform. We we can all see through when something's doesn't doesn't feel authentic, or we don't genuinely believe that that person uses that product or or enjoys that experience. So I think the authenticity is absolutely critical. But it's it's critical at every part of the marketing journey because who who we're targeting or who are who our audience is you know, they're looking for authenticity in their brands that they choose. and, And there's so many brands in the market now that if you can't deliver that, there's another brand that can.
0: I could not agree more. Okay, now let's transport to today. So you are currently the Group General Manager of Marketing and Communications Public Hospitality Group. Could you give us an overview of what your responsibilities are in this position and what a typical day looks like for you okay <laughs>
1: uh, there is there is definitely no such thing as a typical day but I will um, I'll try and paint the picture as much as I can uh, so my my role public hospitality is is part of jagger group so it's a private equity business we own a number of physical assets across Australia generally larger footprint sites so they can be hotels or they could be empty blocks of land or they could be essentially developments that we want to commercialise into, into an asset. My day-to-day role really does range. Um, some days I'm very much working with my team and, and managing and, and leading the team that I've got and working towards sort of more commercialised planning. I also work really closely with John, who's our executive chairman across the group on commercialisation of assets. So that might be looking at an asset that we've just purchased, what's the demographic of the um, the area, what's the opportunity internationally and domestically for, for that particular asset and how do we create a concept and whether that be a boutique hotel or whether that be a rooftop bar or whether that be a brand collab, what should we do with that asset that's going to be the right thing for public Um, as a brand, but also the right thing for the community and the actual site. And then really taking that to market and my team are really there to to help bring that to market. We're really also lucky public and, and Jagger Group has a lot of really strong skills and departments internally, so we do have an internal architecture and design team. We also have obviously marketing and then all of the functions that go with sort of a bigger bigger business so i think that's quite unique for a private equity and a development business is that we have we have the architecture the interior design creativity and then we also have obviously the the creative council and the and the marketing team in there so i think my role is really trying to bring all of that together and bring brand experiences to market that are truly aspirational and truly unique and we're, we're very, very infant in that journey. Um, we've probably got, give or take, about 30% of the assets that we will be launching into the Australian market by the end of 2024 open. And we will continue to, to launch assets over the next sort of 6 to 12 months towards the back end right into the back end of 2024 so it's a really exciting time for us but yeah my days is my day is very very varied <laughs> depending depending on the project i can be talking about one of our um we have oxford house which is a beautiful palm springs inspired calm hotel in the heart of paddington with a beautiful pool and an amazing pool bar and a soon to be relaunched restaurant so we hotel that's operating and every part of it is about making sure that that guest experience and our consumer channels feel as authentic as possible and lots of programming and things that go with that and editorial and pr and and social media content planning but then i'm also working on a boutique hotel in bondi that will launch at the end of this year that will be probably one of the most one of the biggest launches that you'll see in australia this year so depends depends what the day is depends what the time of day is so yeah, it is a, it is a very very day
0: i wanted to touch on oxford house in particular because i recently was enjoying some cocktails poolside there it's such a beautiful hotel what what does your team actually look after is it designing those experiences and going okay this is what a consumer would want who's staying here or who's visiting for the evening so, yeah, what does your role look like?
1: Very good question. So we um, we have an interior design um, and architectural team. So they are, were very much responsible for what you physically see. Obviously, in collaboration with John, who's our executive chairman, is very, very um, globally travelled. Um, his fiance actually is based in the US. So he travels a lot and he's he's constantly looking at inspiration and coming back with ideas. And I think... His idea of creating that asset into an oasis in the heart of Paddington was quite unique and it still is quite unique. There really isn't another hotel in Sydney like it. And I think that that vision was obviously there and on the journey. Um, And my team's role as part of that is to create the brand identity that sits behind it. So what's the proposition? What's the consumer demographic? What's the neighbourhood profiling? And then really going through into brand identity, rollout, what are all the touch points within the property? So that's everything from what does the hotel with compliments piece looks like? How how are our consumers or guests going to move through the property? What does our menus look like? What does our signage look like within the venues? What do the robes look like? What do the slippers look like? All of those types of things my team will work with the operations team on. But more importantly, things like our owned channels, so website, social media. We do a lot of editorial. Neighbourhood is a really key pillar of Oxford House and of all of our assets. So really understanding the neighbourhood and getting placemaking and profiling done of that neighbourhood is really critical. And then what does our programming look like and how can we showcase some of those great brands that we work with within the venue? Double Rainbow, for example, we partner with for the robes in the venue. There's also a store in Paddington and they're a beautiful partnership of ours. Grown Alchemist um, have all of our, um, do all of our amenities in the room. They're, again, a really beautiful partner of ours. So that's what my team are really working on is is taking all of those beautiful stories that are part of that experience and taking them out to market through our own channels. Uh, I also have within my team an internal comms manager, um, so a PR role internally and she works really closely with our external PR agencies on bringing uh, campaigns and concepts to life and also manages sort of day-to-day press office with me. Then I also have my events and entertainment team so they're responsible for you know when you were having a cocktail poolside you probably heard a really cool playlist. So I have someone in my team that that really curates music experience as part of his uh, core part of his role so that includes playlisting it also includes DJ curation, sourcing, and that could be major DJs for major events within there. It could be a sort of supporting talent that works with us every weekend. So that's that's really my team's role. My team is 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 quite varied. I have really the end to end. I have an um, internal design team. I have comms. I have events and entertainment. I have marketers. Um, so really. we we sort of touch every part of that guest experience, but very much in collaboration with our operations team and also the the interior design and architectural team to make sure that the whole thing comes together as as a beautiful holistic asset.
0: That is such a varied role, but it's so interesting. I feel like so many people listening along would go, oh, I never thought about how my robe became this when they're staying at a hotel they're just enjoying it but you know there's so many like there's so many steps that go into all those little details that make you stay beautiful so that's really cool
1: it is and it is and I think you know you talked earlier about that that experience and and consumers really seeking experience whether it's whether it's experiential whether it's a hospitality experience whether it's a boutique hotel stay experience that That experience um, moment for guests is so critical and us, you know, we see at, at public, we see that that's a really critical role for us is that we can play in creating these really unique stay experiences that aren't just a hotel. They're also a great food and beverage concept. They might be a really interesting amenity. They might also have great storytelling. Oxford House, for example, has an incredible curation of art throughout the hallways. And that's been curated with George Goro, who's the ex-Kasubi culture king. So, you know, there's really, really nice layers and storytelling that is throughout Oxford House and and that's part of our role is to to add those those stories through all of our earned channels and paid channels, obviously.
0: You have some epic collaborators, but also within your team, it sounds like there is a whole bunch of specialists from someone curating music and events. I want the music role, P.S. If you ever need someone to make a playlist, I'm, I'm down. I'll
1: tell, him, I'll tell him that he's got somebody lined up to take him, I'm Most excited.
0: <laughs> exactly. But you also had such a huge role in creating a team from the ground up. Within Public Hospitality Group, what was that process like?
1: I think that was actually one of the really, uh, I guess, key drivers in me making the decision to take the role with Public. I had just finished the launch of Crown Sydney and um, was looking at, I guess, you know, what would be the next thing that would have, would would be on the horizon, and and this was a really unique opportunity that I was presented in in the sense of coming into a a business that had always been a private equity and a, and a property asset business and commercialising that into actually opening, running, operating, launching a live operations side of the business. So, I think looking at being able to be given, I guess, a gift of creating a team from scratch and understanding what that team could look like and, and who were the right talent to go into that team, that was... That was a really very, very unique, I guess, unique discussion and, and a really exciting opportunity for me. I, I'm really passionate about people and, and their their development and, and what makes them tick and I think being able to create a team from scratch is really not something that, that you get, you know, um, presented to you very many times in your career. Um, you'll often inherit a team and then you might mould it and, and, and build it into the team that you want it to be. So I think for public really my initial phase was very much just about understanding the business understanding private equity and how that was different to obviously a lot of the big tier one companies that I'd come from previously um, and then taking those learnings um, and really building the team aligned with building the marketing systems that we needed as well you've got to remember as a, as a you know building a, a I guess a company from scratch there was no Um, CRM systems. There was no system set up for social media management. There was no process and system around our digital ecosystem and how we create that. So looking at both of those things concurrently and really working with the business needs around what the team needs to look like to best service obviously what the operations side of the business needs, but also what our consumer channels uh, require us. So it was, was definitely a really interesting path around getting to what we actually needed as a structure and then working with our HR and recruitment team. We've got an incredible HR and recruitment team internally who have, again, come from, from a range of different businesses across Australia, but they really understood what I was trying to create within marketing. And the type of personality that we needed in a private equity where we are trying to open 25 assets, you know, in a relatively short period of time is very different to what you would need in a business where you're relatively stoic and you might have, you know, brands that are existing and not needing to launch in market. So. You know, I guess the HR and recruitment brief was, I need passion, I need pace, I need people that go 100 miles an hour, but most importantly, I need people that are really coming in and buying into our journey. They've heard about maybe what we've done with Oxford House, or they've heard about what we've just purchased down at Bondi, and they're interested and they want to get on the journey now, and i'm I'm pretty efficient in interviews. It's probably the best description I'll generally know within the for, sort of first five to ten minutes if if they have that level of energy and passion and and interest and whether they'll fit with the rest of the team. But yeah it was it was definitely a really really good journey. I was also probably I probably didn't fill some of the roles as quickly as I would have liked to have just because of the labor shortages last year. And that was a personal decision. I, I sort of made the decision that I'd rather wait and get the right person for the role than maybe put someone in who wasn't necessarily going to be the right fit for the business and and what we needed. So, yes, I think that's probably where we are now. I'm, I'm really lucky. I've got a full team. I've got some really great, talented individuals and I think most importantly I've managed to pull a jigsaw, I guess, together where they do bounce off of each other, they do stretch each other, but most importantly they're really supportive of each other and they've got a really nice culture and I think that's really critical because if they enjoy who they work with and they enjoy what they're doing, that's really half the battle. And so, you know, my role within that is really just to push and stretch them and and get them to think about some of the tasks that we've got at hand, but also get them into make them really tight commercial marketers. And that's that's my role. My role within it. We'll see. We're, we're we're on the journey. We're definitely we're definitely not at our destination yet, but we're on the journey and yeah, I'm I'm very lucky with the team that I've got. They're they're a great bunch of, of guys and girls and yeah, I'm lucky.
0: As someone who is making the hiring decisions and you say, you know, within ten minutes whether you're going to hire someone or not how can someone in the marketing, PR, communications industry put their best step forward in an interview and not flop out in the first <laughs> ten minutes? It's <laughs> a really
1: good question. Um, I think I think it it starts probably. To be fair, it starts well prior to the actual interview. I think every engagement that you have with the recruitment process um, whether it be the professionalism of emails whether it be the follow up whether it be the arrival at the interview you know at an at adequate time beforehand and coming prepared to that interview and manners and all of those types of things every touch point i guess of the interview process is is i guess considered so i think that's probably what i would say to any candidate is it's it's you know, it, it's thinking about how you can be perceived through the process because I'm not a specialist in recruitment. You know, I obviously know what I want from a, from a team perspective, but I have an, a, an incredible, her name's Hannah, she's an incredible recruiter. She worked with me throughout the whole process of recruiting the team and her opinion and her interactions through that recruitment process right up to the interview, her and I discussed, we talked about, we talked about her impression, we talked about um, obviously my interview. So I think, that's probably a key consideration, and then I think in terms of coming to the actual interview, knowing knowing where you're interviewing, and I think you know for us as a as a relatively um, new brand to the Australian market, it wasn't necessarily as easy to find things find out things about us online, but there was definitely people and people that are in those roles now who had gone who had made that extra effort to find out about our assets to go and experience one of you know one of our venues. Um, and and knew the work that we were doing Um, so they came in very much prepared around enough of a journey but also came in with lots of questions because it showed that they were really interested and passionate about what we were doing and knew that they couldn't find out a lot about us online which was relatively
0: intentional last year and taking a step back also what about someone who is you know still studying wants to wants to work in marketing where where should they go? Are there any kind of green ticks that you look for, you know, has a certain degree, done internships? What stands out for you?
1: Look, I, th- I think for me, initiative stands out. I think being able to show that even if you have done, an, a, done a degree that you've made, taken the initiative to go and get some professional and corporate experience, that you're not waiting until you finish a degree and then looking for an internship. There's so many businesses and so many opportunities for you to do a half a day, a full day, two days a week and really understand and get your feet in the door to understand even just how an office ticks and how um, a marketing team, a bigger marketing team ticks. And it also shows that you're you're happy to sort of learn and, and grow. So I think coming into an interview with you know, that, that show, showcasing that level of initiative is, is probably critical. And then also, and I keep saying it, but it is a big thing for me is just that, that passion and energy. You know, it's not something that you can train and, and you know, marketers, you, you can't be a great marketer, or you can't be a great comms person if you're not passionate and interested about what you're doing. So, you know, I think, you know, if you look at my career, I've always worked in experience, alcohol, sort of lifestyle consumer products, and that's because that's where my passion is. That's where I'm interested in. I really genuinely enjoy creating great experiences for consumers um, and, and seeing them interact with brands, and I think that's where you do your best work is when you're really interested. So... A lot of the questions, and I, and I do drive recruitment nuts, but a lot of the questions I'll ask in interviews aren't necessarily "tell me about a time when." Um, that's 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 not really my. Often I'll say, "Talk to me about a typical weekend," because it gives me a really good sense of who they are and how they are, how they, you know, what brands they engage with. Do they do they enjoy dining? Do they enjoy going in and looking at new brands? So, yeah, I think. Not saying it's right. It just it's yeah. It, it's what work what works for me, I guess.
0: There's nothing more I hate than the tell me about a time that you've resolved conflict, and I'm like I'm making this up, and I'm sure you've heard the exact same answer from somebody else.
1: Exactly, exactly. And I, I do find that a lot of those hard skills that you're talking about. They will come out naturally through an interview anyway. Like you'll naturally talk about challenging moments. You'll naturally talk about those things. I think if you can have a really informal discussion that does talk about, does cover their experiences but also gives you a really good lens of who they are as a person and what makes them tick and what they're interested in. I'll often ask one of my other questions I'll always ask is, what do you like about your current boss and what do you not like? And, again, there's no right or wrong answer it, and it's literally just so I can understand what pushes them and drives them. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely not the, not, the, not the typical interviewer. But, um, yeah, it's, it seems to work. It seems to be able to get out of people what, what I need to understand who they are and, and where they may fit. And, and that's the other thing. And there's so many times when you're in an interview process where you might be talking to someone about a particular role and you actually, as you get to know them, you understand that they may be perfect for another role that might be coming up in a month or two months or three months. Um, and you'll only, you only be able to unpack that if you have a really great conversation with them about what really interests them and, and where, you, where their skill sets are.
0: Well, it sounds like you have built a very strong team. So, it looks like you're doing something, right? Now, while I have you and before we get on to the quick fire questions, one thing that I am desperate to pick your brain about is how do you stay updated with the latest trends and developments in the field of marketing? Are there any kind of re- specific resources that you go to because even in my mind I'm thinking, you know, five years ago when i started my career i had no idea what tiktok was because it didn't exist
1: <laughs> i think it's a really good question and i think there's not i wouldn't i definitely wouldn't say there's one source of education or development or learning that i go to it really depends on i'm probably the, the my worst critic in terms of i'm constantly looking at the areas that i think i need to develop in or i might have you know, an employee that I think I need to or or someone in my team that I might have an area where I need to push or stretch them on and I'll generally go looking for a resource or or a specialist or someone in that particular area based on what I've got going on so I think you know obviously there's things like TED Talks and podcasts there's a really great podcast that I still love to this day and I go back and listen to sometimes um, from he's the author that wrote Who Stole My Mojo um, and he has a podcast called Who Stole My Mojo and he will have a lot of people come on to that show on different topics and that could be time management, it could be it could be a leadership series, etc. So for me it's a lot more ad hoc just based on you like you talk about TikTok. I don't understand TikTok what I, I understand it enough, but I don't understand it enough is probably the probably the right way. Um, and so it's a really topical thing at the moment. So right now we've got a couple of um, TikTok specialists and account managers that are coming into public to spend time with my entire team and myself and get us keep evolving and keep educating us on on TikTok as it evolves because it's such a new platform for everyone. You know, I think people that are using it really successfully at the moment are uh, individuals, but how do businesses catch up and how do businesses make that platform relevant for them? I think that's a really topical thing at the moment. It's certainly topical for us and so all we can do is reach out to the people that know more about it than we do um, and get them to come in and talk to us about it. Yeah, so I think yeah, it none of us know everything. And I think constantly looking for, for new inspiration and new ideas is is part and parcel of being a marketer because the way that I was marketing 20 years ago is the, is very different to the way that we do marketing now.
0: And looking ahead, are there any kind of trends that you see emerging or do you know what's coming next in the world of marketing?
1: Look, I think performance marketing at the moment is something that is obviously, you know, where a lot of our investment is at the moment and particularly in my industry where where we are, performance marketing is really critical for us to be able to to deliver our guest experiences and and hotels, boutique hotels in particular. So I think continuing to learn and evolve and and understand the reporting and understand the dynamics behind that is, is really critical Gen Z and the trends that are coming through for Gen Z coming out of COVID, again, are, are really key and really critical for us. Again, I'm talking specifically about our industry. You know, they're looking for more moments and experiences in F&B and less so than materialistic um, items as opposed to a couple of years ago. And I think for, for us in particular, that's a trend that's really of interest for us and it means that the, the collaborations and the partners and the brands that we work with are really critical for that. One of the things you sort of mentioned earlier was us around partnerships, and I think that's a really strong ethos, not only for me and my team, but also for public as a whole. We know we don't know everything. We don't do everything internally. We have a great team, obviously, internally, but we collaborate with obviously our agencies. But from a creative perspective perspective, if you've read anything about us, we've just um, recently purchased the Maybe Sammy group because they are the best drink specialists in Australia. We've just signed Clayton Wells as our culinary creative ambassador. He works with us now on all of our creative and F&B concepts because he's the guru in all things food. Um, and we want him to work with all of our incredible in-house um, talent. So we've got great head chefs in all of our venues. We've got an amazing um a chef director Nick and he'll work with the team on that and then you know we talked about george Goro earlier george Goro is a, a really great creative head he's probably my 2023 version of, of samantha wills and he and you know he's a terrific creative head to bounce concepts and ideas on we've also worked recently with christian wagstaff so again bringing in great talent to stretch and make you better is 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 a great trend for marketing and I think that's a you know that's something that I guess any industry regardless of being in hospitality or experience or being in FMCG marketing I think thinking outside of the box and bringing cool different heads in to think about things differently is absolutely something that can assist with a lot of the trends that we're seeing globally.
0: They are some epic collaborators that is so cool I'm very jealous but I have had the most amazing time chatting to you and I feel like I've learned a lot. So I know everyone listening along will too, but I have five quick fire questions left for you. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Your favorite PR event ever.
1: Uh, virgin australia afl grand final eve party it was again back in the day of old crazy budgets but it was probably one of the most incredible pr and experiential events that i've ever been to just in terms of the execution attention to detail it was great but it was you know it's showing my age but it was you know it was probably gosh i got engaged the next day so it must have been seven eight <laughs> years ago
0: one of my guests actually recently mentioned that event too as their favourite PR event.
1: There we go. It was it was iconic for Melbourne. I think that
0: year. Um, your favourite podcast, apart from this one, of course.
1: Obviously this one, but um, definitely who stole my mojo? I think it's a really good snackable podcast, and he has some great people that come um, and speak. But most importantly, he's a, he's a really good he's a really good innovator and inspire it in his own right so I, I do I do really like that one it's a bit less left of center but it's a good
0: one uh what is your favorite social media platform
1: well I'm a bit older so yes I'd have to say Instagram it's definitely not like TikTok
0: <laughs> uh your
1: most visited website it's definitely an even split between Netta Porter and Matches Fashion
0: Ooh, good choices if,
1: if I'm not if I, to be fair I have a three-year-old so if I'm not looking at <laughs> um if I'm not looking at quintessential little baby sites, kids' sites for Sophia, then it's definitely Matches Fashion or net porter
0: And my final question for you and my most controversial, what is your screen time? Does that include laptop time? Uh, just phone. We can go just phone. Oh, look, I'd have to say...
1: If I'm traveling back and forth to, cause I go to Sydney a lot. So then I think Sydney weeks, I'd probably be a bit more because I've got time at the airport. So probably an hour. If it's not Sydney, then probably half an hour. Oh, that's so good. But again, but again, I've got I've got a three year old, so I I do try and put the phone down before she goes to bed and have time with her when I finish the day and before I go to bed. And you know, I, you'll also often find me not sleeping because my mind goes hundred miles an hour, and then I'll be up. And it probably might be two hours, so that's probably not a short answer, but probably too much is probably the best description.
0: I think everyone's is too much. Well, anyway, thank you so much for joining me. I beyond appreciate your time and you have been such a pleasure to chat to. Thank you so much,
1: Marissa. Thanks
0: for having me. Thank you for listening to The Press Office with Kate and Co PR. Please subscribe, rate and review via your favourite podcast app. And please give us a follow, like and share on Instagram at KCoPR.